Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome to Wednesday, as we used to say. Uh, it is a beautiful day out there. It may not be quite as hot in every part of the country as it is down here in the southeast, but 30 degrees it's going to hit, so it's a good play. You can either be at the beach, yeah, in the back garden, uh, not wearing very many clothes in the park, or at least somewhere where you can stay cool. Uh, I'm going to stay cool in the studio if I can, but I have to say it's been difficult staying cool this week with all the nonsense and the moving of the goalposts and the ridiculous st- static sort of data versus dates argument that's been going on. Let's talk to Baroness Fox of Buckley, who is, of course, Director of the Academy of Ideas, non-affiliated peer. Claire, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm fine, but like everyone else, you know, very frustrated. Yes, you sound a lot calmer than I do, because I have not been calm literally since uh, really Sunday, I think. I think I, I think actually trying to stay calm is one of the contributions we have to make, because... In some ways, I just think it becomes so demoralising to be in a state of fury all the time. Mm. So I'm trying to get a sense of perspective and trying to, you know, because people are getting demoralised. So I think it's important that we have a kind of future orientation. Yeah, We will be free and so on and so forth. So. I mean, we've got, I think, um, something to play from you in the Lords about extending the restrictions, which we'll get to in a second. But I mean, you know, just from the point of view of, of pure academia, you know, I'm not sure what the government is looking at that's telling them that we're in a worse situation now than we were this time last year? Well, I mean, we aren't in a worse situation than we were this time last year. All the figures, all the stats, all the data, and I don't think that should be the only thing that we consider. But if you look at the data on COVID-19, we are actually doing, as they say, very well. Mm. My argument, of course, and increasingly more and more people are agreeing with this, is you can't just see the whole of society through the prism of the assessment of COVID. Because at this stage, we now have to say that any cost benefit analysis means that what we're doing to fight one very small challenge, and it's a small challenge now, which is this horrible virus, is outweighed by all of the costs, the collateral damage, as it were, of carrying on keeping people restricted under, you know, under the diktat of a government that can tell you how to live the most intimate aspects of your life. Mm. And that is the problem, isn't it? Because what we've been talking about, you and I, and many other people over the course of the last year, is, you know, we have to be very careful how this is managed. We have to be very careful what powers the government thinks it has. And it struck me over the weekend at the G7 that, you know, all of these people who are elected, uh, who do run countries, um, they're all paid by the public purse of each of those countries. You know, you know, Joe Biden flies around Britain in the Air Force One, all paid for by the American taxpayer. You know, Boris Johnson takes everybody to the Eden Project, all paid for by us. You know, the EU turn up, uh, Macron turns up. They're all employed by us. And it suddenly struck me there's something wrong with this picture because they're not listening to us. But we're being forced to listen to not only to them, but to do what they're telling us to do. Well, I think, I think it's, you know, the, the difficulty we've got, maybe you and I, is that quite a lot of people are not agreeing with us, right? Mm. I mean, there's a, I, I still think that probably the majority of people think, well, it's only four weeks, better safe than sorry, and so on. And I think what the government's role is in that is to face that down. Because one of the reasons why people feel like that is because they're, conf- you know, there's a huge amount of information that's quite scary. Mm. All people are trying to do what is best for society. You know, some of it will be cynical, like, don't want to go back to work. It's lovely sunny days, you know, don't mind for an extra few weeks. But overall, what that means is handing over 
our agency, our ability to make decisions to mm. the government. Yeah. And so what I want the government to do is to, to have a bit of courage, because I think they're looking at the polls thinking, oh, well, if we carry on doing this, you know, we're not even going to be that unpopular. Mm. Uh, and maybe they're right. But that the point is, at some point, you've got to do something on the basis of principle on what's right. And for me, the continuation of the trashing of the economy, just when I was in the Lords yesterday, the government minister that I was asking the question of, we got less than a minute, by the way, mm. each. Um, the government minister that I was asking, you know, he was sort of saying, well, try and put yourself in our shoes to see what it's like making the decisions. Mm. And he was kind of almost quite chirpy, saying, well, you know, I'd like to stay optimistic. I don't want all this negativity. And it's like, don't you realise the despair if you work in the events industry, yeah. if you work in the travel industry, but also just if you are if you want for once to just be able to have spontaneity, I mean, that's what's lacking, isn't it? It's not just a question of saying, I want to go to the pub. Mm. It's that I just want to go out in the day and see what happens and see whether I yes. want to go and meet mates or not. And the fact that I have to think, what are the rules? Am I allowed? Mm. Is that possible? That changes who we are as citizens. It yeah. makes us lesser in my view. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. But for me, it's not just about that, But even though that's very important. It's also about the size of the businesses we're talking about here, the size yeah. of hospitality, the size of the events business, the music business, you know, the numbers of people, the thousands, tens of thousands of people employed, uh, all of whom pay tax, the businesses that all pay tax. I mean, I go back to last year, and I remember hearing a guy who won't, uh, runs a theatre somewhere in the West End, and he said, you know, last year we paid £700,000 in VAT to the government. And they said, how much are you paying this year? And he went, none, nothing. You know, exactly. I mean, that, you can't tell me that doesn't have some kind of long-term effect. But let's have no. a watch, uh, Claire, just as, we, as we're talking about the Lords and your appearance there yesterday. Uh, let's, let's, look, let's look at that and listen to it. I call Baroness Fox of Buckley. The Minister has said several times there are grounds for optimism. Really? Doesn't he realise that this delay has caused despair? The Minister urged opponents to sit in the seats of decision-makers. Can I urge the Minister to sit in the seats of the trashed events industry today and those who are likely to lose their jobs in hospitality, sport, theatre and so on? I appreciate that many people in the public remain nervous of living with the virus despite the wonders of the vaccine, but isn't it the job of government to lead with courage, to reassure people not to be unduly frightened or succumb to fatalism? and to protect the unquantifiable, non-COVID-related social fabric of society that you are tearing up. Very well said. Um, and as you pointed out, the, uh, the reception that you got for that, uh, Claire, was not exactly particularly encouraging. But let me ask you about a couple of other things that are going on. I mean, the care homes this morning, we're being told, uh, anyone who works in them is going to be forced to have a vaccination. I feel slightly uneasy about that. Um, what do you think? Oh, I'm absolutely furious about this one. I'm not calm on this question. Okay. Because I think that um, the the government's own approach had been to say, we won't comp make this compulsory for care home uh, staff. We'll encourage them. That's the best way. And they're absolutely right. But the implication is that care homes had COVID in them because care home workers weren't vaccinated. Well, we know that's not true. Mm. We actually know that the reason why COVID got into care homes was much uh, less to do with that. And actually, if you look at what's happening in care homes at the moment, the great tragedies, the great threat to health are the continuation of restrictions until only this week, they had to have 
um, you know, 14 days in isolation if they'd been out for a day into the sunshine. These inhumane rules about not being allowed to hug relatives, people having to dress in full PPE to go and see an 85-year-old with dementia. Mm. If you want to know what the threat to the health of people in care homes is, it's not unvaccinated care home workers. It's those rules. So it seems to me that this is an attempt at saying that the care home workers are potentially threatening. What a horrible insult Mm. to frontline workers who have worked throughout this pandemic in the most difficult situation and have had, you know, the added strain of having to deal with furious relatives, let alone do their job of substituting the lack of love and care of families who've been banned to try and make Mm. those elderly people feel better. And now they're being blamed effectively and they shouldn't. I mean, if you've got, by the way, those people who've got loved ones in care homes, they will have been doubly vaccinated. Therefore, they are really very safe. Mm. So actually the threat is not that care worker who, for whatever reasons, doesn't want to have the the, the, the vaccination mm. and and compulsory medical intervention, apart from in extreme circumstances, I think is a very dangerous road to go down. And so much for clapping for frontline workers. Know. You know, it's a disgraceful singling of them out. I think that I really despise. I mean, people say that they do uh, insist on uh, in vaccinations for certain medical staff in certain areas. And I heard somebody on the radio this morning talking about uh, that you get hepatitis C injection if you're working as a surgeon. That may well be. But there's certainly not any compulsory vaccination taking place in the NHS overall. All nurses no. are not vaccinated. If they don't want to be vaccinated, they're not, right? Yeah, I mean, look, that's why I said, apart from in very particular circumstances. Now, surgeons... And hepatitis, I get it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't have to be a surgeon. We've got a shortage of care workers, not not to, you know, and, and, and they're low paid, work extremely hard, do jobs that sometimes people are, you know, look down on, let's mm. be frank, you know, because they have to do the more intimate care of people who are very poorly often. Yeah. And I just think it's it's a, to, to single them out is one thing. But all I'm saying is, why has the government done it? You know, the, they've just announced this, or apparently they're going to announce it. Like all these things, we sit there kind of getting briefed before we have any parliamentary discussion mm. on it or any proper genuine justification. Now there's all these rumours. We're not even sure if it's true. This whole thing feels so psychologically battering. And, and I think that's one of the problems we've got. You know, mm. and I was saying a lot of people go along with restrictions. In some ways... rather than us being able to have a, you know, a social public debate on what we think about care homes, we're sitting on the couch waiting to find out what the next cabinet decision is. And that makes you feel powerless. Mm. And it really kind of, I think, knocks the stuffing out of people. But anyway, it's a very dangerous road to go down in terms of employment law. Mm. I don't like it at all. No, I don't think so either. Stay with us, Baroness, if you can. We're going to come back and talk about the People's Lockdown Inquiry. Uh, We're talking uh, to Baroness Fox of Buckley. Claire Fox, uh, to those of you who know her before she was ennobled. Uh, We are, of course, uh, the home of common sense. We are uh, the place where you get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham. We're talking to Baroness Fox of Buckley, and she's been telling us about how uh, upset she is about this idea that people uh, should be uh, compulsorily vaccinated. I've got this from uh, Jean in Lewisham. I've worked as a carer throughout the pandemic. I have an autoimmune condition and will never have a vaccine because of the risk to my health. I put myself at risk for 15 months, had regular COVID tests and never tested positive. If the vaccine is mandatory for carers, I will no longer work in the sector. And I think Jean probably speaks for an awful lot of people. Claire, this is the problem they're going to have, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, also, what are you? It's it's almost like criminalising uh, care workers who don't want the vaccine as though they're irresponsible. And as I say, it's it's blame shifting. I think when we actually do have a proper inquiry, um, a government inquiry, um, and we heard a little bit of this from Dominic Cummings, we're going to find out that the scandal of what's happened in care homes. The numbers of people who died both of COVID and the official responsibility for that, but also the number of people whose lives were taken because they were neglected in many ways because of COVID regulations um, will make, you know, the care home workers are the least of the problems at all. They're the heroes and heroines of this. Absolutely right. A lot of people were pointing out the, the, the game yesterday, I don't know if you've watched the football, but the game yesterday in Hungary. Uh, between Hungary and Portugal, where there was upwards of 61 to 64,000 people in the stadium. Victor Orban uh, is, of course, everybody's favourite Trump figure to hate in Eastern Europe. You know, nobody likes the guy. Everybody thinks he's a racist. But however, he's made a political decision. Uh, but what he has done is also asked for people to have vaccine passports to get into the game. What do you make of that? Well, of course, I mean, we all feel, well, I feel very queasy about vaccine passports because, again, it's one of those situations where you have to show your papers yeah. and um I, I mean it, it was sort of a great delight to see the the crowds at the football i mean just because that's what we all want mm. but i don't want to be in a situation where access to the public square which in a way is ours by right yeah. right we're the public um where you have to kind of ask permission and then that permission is only granted if you fulfilled a number of medical requirements so i think that that is not the way to go and I, I, as it happens, I do think um, that, that there's lots of ministers and a number of people, you know, Michael Go people who've been pushing this uh, vaccine passports. It's not gone so well. There has been a bit of a backlash. Mm. I think it's united civil libertarians who've not been particularly all of them anti all of the lockdown measures. But when it comes to compulsory vaccine passports, they can see that that's a kind of biomedical state that's rather dangerous. Yes, I think um, so. What, what you, can you imagine if you sort of said to people, we want to make sure that, you know, you're tested to see whether you've got AIDS. We want to make sure, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And when you go to, I mean, we'd all think you can't do that, can no. you? You know what I mean? Like that would be, and there's already squeamishness in those kind of medical things when insurance companies gauge you on your medical outcomes. If the whole of society start doing it, we're basically discriminating the person that we've just, you just read out, the, the care home mm. worker. I mean, she won't be able to go to the football. She won't be able to work in a care home and she won't be able to potentially go to the shops. Right. We can't have that, right? No, we absolutely can't. Just a couple of minutes left. Talk to us talk about the people's lockdown inquiry uh, that you're interested in starting up. Yeah, right? so um, if I can just hold this up in my kind of free advertising. So um, the Academy of Ideas, which I'm the director of, we got, um, if I can give it its full, we got commissioned by the Reclaim Party okay. um, to, you know, a few months ago, they came to us and I thought it was a really inspired idea they let us get on with it which is there's going to be lots of official inquiries and they're all going to look at stats and data what the people's lockdown inquiry is doing is basically it, we went and got submissions from a whole range of people on the front line as to what 
the collateral damage of lockdown was. Now, it's very important this. They weren't all people who were sceptical of lockdowns. You know, some of them actually supported the lockdowns, but mm. we asked them to consider what is the cost of these restrictions on lives. And we got people talking about, uh, so the submissions and people talking about what's happening in prisons, mm. a really neglected area, but it's been inhumane. Mm. People locked in their cells for 23 hours from dentists, from care home workers, from residents, uh, from, from families, from primary school teachers. It's a living historic capsule because one of the things that I'm very keen on is that we don't forget what's happened over the last 15 months. Yeah. And that these things are not, quantitative where you can count the data but they're qualitative there are stories and so if you want it's living history so there's a website uh, um, uh, which is of course uh, people's lockdown inquiry .co.uk. I hope people will read those submissions and recognise that we're not going to, we can't depend on the politicians to run an inquiry where we get a sense of, of, of assessment of what's happened. There's a brilliant essay in here actually, Mike, on the economy and actually weighing up, you know, will there be some good things that come out of this? You know, will it, will it wipe out a lot of companies that maybe didn't, you know, had been sort of uh, coasting along as it were, mm. but really in-depth discussion. So I hope people will read it, participate, tell their own stories. And I'd like to thank the Reclaim Party for commissioning us, but uh, the Academy of Ideas take full responsibility for curating this. But we've got to tell our own history now, not let it be the statistician, SAGE, or the people called to the Science and Technology Committee. Our stories, or when I say our, oh, I'm in the House of Lords, Ordinary people's stories count. I'm like one of the privileged these days, I have to remember. But ordinary people's stories count. They cannot be sidelined. They can't be forgotten. The importance of talk radio for me is that you throughout have given the opportunity for ordinary people to talk. And there's been some examples on all the shows, but one in particular show where somebody phoned, you know, the father of five who mm. phoned in in despair. Yeah. And then he came back and explained how he got through it. And there's something about hearing what it's like on the ground that most politicians haven't got a clue no. what people's lives have been like during this time. And we should not forget. No, absolutely right. Brilliant stuff. Baroness Claire Fox, thank you very much indeed. Uh, go and find that uh, uh, Academy of Ideas paper because it's called the People's Lockdown Inquiry. And keep bringing us your stories because it's important, not least because people do take notice. We don't do this because it's good for our health. In some ways, it's not very good for our health. Some people castigate us. Some people tell us uh, that we're horrible, nasty, right-wing bigots. We're not. We're telling the story of the people of this country. And that's why Talk Radio is the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Lisa Francesca Nan, travel journalist, host of the Big Travel Podcast. Uh, very jealously, so you're probably having a great day down in Brighton uh, in the 30-degree heat. Oh, it's beautiful here at the moment. I'm not going to lie. And this is all we've got at the moment, isn't it? You know, make the best of this weather. I think, isn't it turning next week? Or I think, tomorrow no, or I think, I think, so. I think tomorrow. Yeah, probably. But I mean, they, they sometimes get it wrong. But listen, I mean, imagine if it wasn't like this, how depressed we would all be with the news that came on Monday, which we expected, mind you, uh, that's another four weeks before we can do anything. Yeah, it is a little bit depressing. I, I personally had tickets to Spain for this weekend, just gone, oh, and uh, they were cancelled. They were the EasyJet and they've been cancelled and lots of other people's flights have been cancelled. There's so many people who do now want to go away. I think people are just fed up, you know, mm. with the restrictions and the rest of Europe is opening up. You know, we really need to get with it as well. Absolutely right. But an interesting manoeuvre over the last couple of days, EasyJet have been moving planes around and a lot of planes that they would have had leaving the UK have now been taken over to mainland Europe. 
which suggests to me, I suppose, that they're going to be flying around in Europe, but not from here. Yeah, I mean, this appeals to the most sort of, uh, you know, nobody wants the Germans to get to the beach before us, do they? Or the swimming pool and put their towels <laughs> down. And EasyJet are now moving planes that should have been going from here to Berlin because, I mean, what else can they do? They need to try and claw back some business. Mm. People in Europe are flying all over the place now. Most European countries have said if you've had the double vaccine or a negative PCR test, you can come in without quarantine. You can move around within the EU. And it's so much more uh, less restricted than here. You know, we're losing out on millions and millions of pounds worth of business. That's real jobs and people's livings. And it's actually, you know, I'm one of those people that really want to go away. But it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than us just losing our mm. holidays. It's the potential for massive businesses to go under. And I, I don't blame EasyJet for having do it, done it because they need to, to, to claw back some cash. Well, exactly right. And, and the problem with this four weeks um, sort of extension, if you want to call it that, is that ordinary families like yours and mine we can't really make any plans, can we? I mean, I can't say for sure, and I don't really have any faith in Boris Johnson's ability to keep his word, that even July the 19th will be a day that we do, in fact, lift all the restrictions. Even as a travel professional, I can't guarantee what's going to happen. We just don't know. And it just seems with with the, the levels at the moment in Europe, they're lower than here. You know, why can't they just let us go there? And we, there was talk about the, uh, the US corridor as well, opening up. That all seems to have gone quiet. We just don't know what's going to happen. And I don't blame people. I am one of those people. I do have flights booked uh, for the summer, but I don't blame people in thinking, well, actually, this is far too much hassle, far too much uncertainty. It seems only rich people can travel because you've got to spend all those money on pcr tests mm. and i can don't blame people for thinking actually i'm not i'm not going to bother any going anywhere at all it's expensive to go to cornwall or wherever and mm. it's very difficult to, to book something now and you know this is just even more worrying for the travel industry because you really can't blame people for saying right that's it let's not bother let's just let's yeah. just see what happens and, and go next year or half term or i mean or I, not go yeah. at all. I mean i know people looking at october half term as a, as a possibility but i'm told that some of the flights being offered up uh, to places like Cyprus are already prohibitive, like a thousand pounds ahead to go to Cyprus and back in October half term. Yeah, and people booking for next year, and of course people are changing. You know, there's a lot of people that have holidays books already, and they're they're having to change them. So those will be occupying those places of people that want to to want to go away at that time as well. So yeah, it's all very very difficult and very very worrying. I feel so sorry for the people who are trying to make their living from travel right now, mm. down to the you know the big aviation companies, of course, but down to the people that are doing all the, the gritty jobs, the cleaning, the taxi drivers, you know, people picking up from the airports, that sort of thing. We don't have any inbound tourists. You know, no. we, we talk about us going away, but the reverse is we don't have any inbound tourism as well. Well, I said this the other day that it's often forgotten that Britain, you know, we, we talk about Greece wanting uh, tourism and needing tourism. Well, hello. So do we. You know, most of central London is still pretty deserted because most of central London, more, more or less in the summer anyway, and probably all year round is full of tourists. You know, they're going to all the galleries. They're going to the restaurants. They're going to the theatres. Without the tourists, we don't really have a city. I think it's a very confusing picture we're painting of the UK at the moment because I am here in Brighton and I walk down Brighton Beach on the weekend and it is busy, busy, busy. And you see, you know, front page of the Daily Mail, you'll see a picture of a very busy, busy beach. But the rest of the time it's empty and we do need those tourists. You know, I go into a pub at night and it's dead compared to normal. Like you said about central London mm. as well. It's absolutely dead compared to London. There's people going out and about here, obviously, because we're not going on holiday. But if we have the summer season without tourists coming in here, that's really going to mess us up as well. Mm. So, yeah, that's it. We talk Talk about us wanting our holidays and also the, the travel industry being in trouble but it's it's getting people back here as well we cannot 
We've got to get things moving. We can't mm. live like this forever. You know, the vaccine is meant to liberate us from this. The EU are going to start accepting uh, double vaccinated people from the 1st of July. Their green certificate is going from them. From then, we need to do something else. Otherwise, we're going to get we're going to fall behind. Mm. Exactly right. And I'm seeing, I think, uh, a couple of stories earlier part this week about the Greek, some of the Greek ministers coming out and saying that they believe Britain's being overcautious and some criticism now coming towards the British government from from foreign destinations where otherwise, you know, probably millions of us would be going. Yeah, absolutely. We've had ministers from all countries, uh, ministers from Spain and from Greece speaking out saying, please just open something up, you know, because it's a it's a double thing. You know, we need them. They need us. So, yeah, I can't I can't blame people for complaining. No, exactly right. And you mentioned the um, the special relationship with the US of A and the fact that we were expecting something from the G7 didn't come. I mean, did they have a conversation at all about it? Because I think it's 23 million quid a day that we're losing by having no American visitors. Yeah, I've heard it's up to thirty million pounds mm. a day. So you know, it's it's a, the business travellers, the, the tourism, and yeah, we thought that something was going to be said. Uh, the press was speculating that something it was going to be said, and nothing was said at all. It's like there's so much uncertainty. At least give us something, you know, some certainty, some dates. And even as a travel professional, you know, I can't tell you at the moment when things are going to change and how they're going to change. Last time uh, we speculated that more countries would be added to the green list, and then zero countries were added to the green list, and Portugal was taken off it so there's just so much uncertainty we really need to have some certainty at least with these dates yeah. uh, just to get people moving and if the 19th of july is the day at which they then look at the the domestic uh, lifting of the lockdown when is the next actual kind of travel review if you like it should be next Thursday, which I think is Thursday the 24th. That's what that's what I'm banking on, and that's what we've been banking on for a while. But yeah. now with this this July the 19th date being banded around, I, I think it's, um, you know, nothing is absolutely certain. But I'm looking forward to next Thursday at the moment being a day we might might get some, uh, some more news. I mean, is there any likelihood? I mean, it seems to me that nobody's even talking anymore about the traffic light system because it's almost as though the traffic light system has been forgotten about. It's like, well, there was a red and an amber and a green list. But because there is effectively no green list that you can go to, everyone's kind of everybody's just sort of passed on it, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's more relevant if you are one of those people who have to travel, who are going away. Um, I guess it's more relevant for you because you're coming back in the country and you've got to do your your, your 10 day isolation, yeah. isolation and, and take all the expensive PCR tests, which they're so confusing as well. You know, if you if you allow people to do the uh, release test to release, they call it mm. on day five and pay to get out then why can't you let everyone pay to get out? It's just It just seems to me it's like penalising the people who can't necessarily afford to do that. Mm. Why let some people, just because they can afford to do an extra test, why let them get out after five days? Why not say, OK, reduce quarantine to, for five days for everyone, do a test on day two, a test on day five, and then you can get out. I don't understand why it's OK. Uh, the virus isn't going to get you if you've got enough money to pay for the test on day five. You know, it just makes absolutely no sense. So I think the, the green, amber and, and red list uh, is very relevant to people for those small amount of people who are traveling because they're the ones thinking, well, this is really confusing mm. and expensive and restrictive because I've got to stay at home for 10 days. Yeah, I know. Maddening. Absolutely frustrating as hell. Lisa, thanks very much indeed. Lisa Francesca, then travel journalist, hosted a big travel podcast, was hoping to be in Spain this weekend, but isn't going to be, unfortunately. So every now and again, I have to kind of breathe just to kind of just go, right, OK, then, you know, yesterday I was quite um, I, I really struggled not to swear this week, actually, I, um, I was quite peed off yesterday. Uh, Monday, I was angry. 
today I'm still pretty wound up, but I'm, you know, I'm working through it because I think everybody needs to do that. You know, it's, it's not unhealthy to be angry. People say, oh, you shouldn't be angry all the time. I'm not angry all the time. But there's nothing wrong with getting worked up about stuff. Because the frustrations are you, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And that's why people are getting angry, because none of it makes sense. Right. And when you ask whether it makes sense to anyone and they talk about, well, we're following the science. Well, I'm sorry, there isn't any science. Mm -mm. You know, I'm looking at the Telegraph today. Uh, I think they've got eight deaths, is it, or ten yeah. deaths yeah. Um, out of a total? Because I'm pleased, as I say, that they're now doing the total. 1,111 deaths in a day yeah. in, all, uh, in all areas, ten of them from COVID. So 1,101 are from something else. Yeah. What are we doing about that? Absolutely nothing. I'm pleased nothing. to see that, uh, that Jacob Rees-Mogg seems to now be getting on board slightly. Michael Gove yeah. yesterday started to talk about, you know, living with it rather than, you know, hiding from it. You're so two-faced, Mike. You, I, you, and this is the biggest problem. Okay, so they come out, Michael Gove comes out and um, they come out and they say something. But I don't believe anything mm. anymore. And, and I've said this before, that I lived in this lovely little cocoon before COVID, yeah. really believing that the government had my best interests and the best interests of my children at heart, that they wanted me to have my liberty because I live in a great Britain where liberty and democracy rule. That's what I thought up until COVID. Yeah. And then I've had this creep up on me over the past 15 months, realising that actually that's not the case, they lie. Mm. Oh my goodness, the lies. And they get away with these yeah. lies again and again and again, and no one holds them to account. Right. I mean, the opposition is so pathetic. I don't know who I'm more angry at, the government or the op opposition, mm. because at least if it had been the other way around, if Labour had been in, I do think that Boris might have done something. But this way round, yeah. he's so sheepish and yeah. led by this faux science. And it is faux science. Oh, totally. Because everything that Witty has said has worked out to be wrong mm. all these predictions he's made mm. are wrong and yet we continue to follow them i don't get it right. Mike, tell well, me I why said, i said to claire fox this morning you know i remember this time last year we were doing a lot more stuff than we're doing now mm. were we yeah. not i mean we opened the pubs up i remember on july the 4th we had a party uh, over at the horseshoe uh, one of the first of many uh, we had a whole kind of you know uh, show that we did there the whole of july and august people were going on holiday you know, my family went to Portugal. I didn't go with them because I wasn't sure whether there was going to be quarantine or not. As it turned out, they put it on, then they took it off. But a lot of people were travelling. Now yeah. nobody's travelling. Nobody can book a holiday. You were telling me about a friend of yours that you yeah, were Yeah, so my, to. my friend has a travel company, um, Anna at Travelmania, and she was on the phone to me yesterday sobbing, mm. literally sobbing. So she has worked in this company. She's the same age as me, you know, kind of middle-aged, mid-50s, and um, she has worked in this company for over 30 years. Everything that she has got has gone into this company. Mm. And up until COVID hit, they were in the black. They were doing really well. They're about to take some money out because her and her, her two cousins that run it, it's a family business, She's an incredible travel agent. She really kind of looks after you and yeah. her clients always go back to her. And that's hard to do now because really of the hard internet, to build up. isn't it? Yeah. Because people just book their own holidays Absolutely. Now. So can you imagine how good she is that yeah. she has clients that come back year after year after year. She's had people with her since the beginning, mm. 30 years yeah. of clients. Can you imagine that? And she's sobbing down the phone to me because this latest four-week extension has just she was they were they were hanging on by the tips of their nails mm. like literally hanging on and she just knows it's it's all gonna it's gonna fall away now and there's and she was because she knows that i'm well read and i and i kind of keep up on all the statistics and everything she goes Tony, can you just tell me why can you justify it for me so at least as there's a greek word so i can digest it mm. as we say in greek and i and there's no digestible 
understandable no. reasons. Like, why did they put Portugal from green to amber? Mm. Nothing has happened in Portugal no. to change what they, bef- while it was in green. Nothing has changed since then. And you were just saying that they, they said they were going to do that so yeah. they wouldn't stop well, Freedom Day. It was either George Eustace or George Useless, as I call him, uh, or Grant Shapps, who said that one of the reasons for, for bringing the people's holidays to an early end was because they wanted to safeguard June the 21st because they said the most important thing is the unlocking of domestic economy, mm-hmm. which I agree with them. That's fine. But they did it and then that didn't happen. No. So what happens now? I mean, I was saying uh, this early this week, if you had your personal holiday ruined, if you had to pay £500 per person to Ryanair to fly back early to avoid quarantine and it's cost you money, you should sue, not the government because that's public money, individual politicians, sue them and yeah. say to them, you owe me two grand. Yeah, and yeah. I can't afford two grand. I can't afford to have taken all these tests and I can't afford to go on holiday. And what about Portugal? Portugal, all the people who hired, you know, I go to Portugal quite a lot. There's a couple of really nice resorts that I like to go to there on the Algarve. And they've got loads of great staff, all of whom are now out of work yeah. because they, there's, no, there's no one there. But, and there's no reason for it. Right. Because we'd all accept if there was a reason, but we completely now understand. And anybody who's woken up to this understands. But unfortunately, as we've said time and time again, this is a nation of... Psychops. Mm. We, so they've been scared out of their wits. Some of the things that I get on Twitter and mm. on Facebook are incredible. Because yeah. I was talking about the fact that I went on the uh, went outside Downing Street on Sunday, and I was saying, "Shame on the government! Shame on them yeah. for what they're doing!" And I, I have all these replies saying, "Oh, shame on the government for trying to save us, trying to save lives." They're not saving no. lives. They are killing people. Yeah. Since when has people losing their jobs or, or getting poorer? ever ever save lives that's only ever made people lose their lives exactly and i told you last week that i had a call from a guy who said that he had relatives who had friends who knew people um and uh, who had now got stage four cancer one of them died on friday Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's awful. It's really, really heartbreaking. And those are the real statistics that we need to be looking at. None of this nonsense about, you know, what we see on the front here, you know, 7,673 daily coronavirus cases. I was told this week. So what? Yeah, exactly. So what? The cases are not sick people. Cases are not sick people. They are positive tests, some of which might not even be positive tests because they could be wrong. But we were told by the sage maniacs that 7,000 people would be in hospital at this time. Okay. Do you know how many there are? About 800? Yeah, just under 1,000. Yeah. So by yeah. a factor of seven, they've got that wrong. They have. Uh, but, even yet... then, but even then, had it been 7,000, they would have still, according to them, allowed the lockdown to have been lifted on June 21st. So what's going on? This is, this, and this is, the, this is the big question that gives me tummy ache. And I know it sounds really silly to say, boil it down to that, but I have a No, tummy. you have I knots have a, in your stomach. I have a knot in my tummy yeah. all the time because I don't know what's going on and why this is happening. Mm. Is it something sinister? Has Boris got possessed? What's going on? Have aliens, I mean, they keep talking about aliens, have aliens descended? Because <laughs> none of the logical no. reasons or explanations make any well, my, sense my, at all. My understanding is this, and, and, and it's not anything other than my theory, okay? So I propagated it yesterday. I think he's become also kind of uh, a prisoner of sage he's basically Mm. had all of these people talking to him for such a long time he obviously had his own personal experience which might have an effect because you know i didn't nearly die from covid so maybe i would think differently but here's a guy who is every single day of his life told by somebody standing very close to him don't do that just Never don't my, do you know, it. You know what the question is? Don't like? do it. Who put that person standing next to him? Why can't we have uh, some of the other brilliant scientists, mm. like anyone from yeah. the Great Barrington Declaration, yes. any one of those fantastic virologists, immunologists, scientists, mm. not 
you know, people control people. Mm. Why are they not standing next? Why are they not there? Yeah. And that's the question. I think that's we'd find out where the power play is. is yeah. We'd find out who put Sage in front of Boris. Yeah. Why didn't the other scientists get there? There are some amazing scientists out there and who are completely re thoughts. reputing this. Yeah, and there, and there is no perfection when it comes to science. There is no. There are some um, rules which you obey as a scientist, like gravity. You, know, yeah. you can't say that doesn't exist because you would be laughed out of the room. But what you can say uh, is that the Indian variant, uh, or as it's now called the Delta variant, because we don't upset people from India for some god awful reason, um, uh, is more dangerous now. They're saying we don't think it is actually more dangerous. We're not really sure. You know, it's, they just say stuff. And everybody goes, well, of course you know that it's more dangerous. And you go, well, who told you that? Who told you? But the thing is, is the variants are... So I, I'm not a virologist, an immunologist, before you start, but I can read the science. And neither is and Susan <laughs> Mitchie, by the way, who, wants us, who wants us to have social distancing and wear masks for the rest of time. And this is the Susan Mitchie whose family used to own a Picasso. That's right. Yeah, you're just, just checking. You know, yeah. she's, she's one of us, Yeah, obviously. she's another... Because yeah, yeah. uh, all communists own original Picassos, obviously. Thank you, exactly. You but know. my point is um, that the... the, the Variants are 0.3 difference, which if you're vaccinated, they will have no difference on. And the nature of viruses, the nature of all viruses mm. in all time is that they become weaker and they do become a bit yeah. more contagious because their their point is that they want to live on. So they become, more, you know, like a bad flu or not even a bad flu, a little cold, mm. really. So they do become more contagious, yeah. but less dangerous. Yeah. So all this scaremongering is just... The verbal language that they're using goes with all the other coercive verbal language and frightening people yeah. literally to death. Well, I was talking to someone the other day who said that um, he was in a restaurant, got up, went to go to the toilet, which was literally there, mm -hmm. you know, across from the from the one the corridor between the tables. And some guy said, "Would you please put your mask on uh, when you go to the toilet?" And he said, "How does the virus know that I'm standing up? What's the difference?" Well, on that note... Quite a good question. Very good question. But on that note, how does the virus know all the G7 lovies are, you know, G7 yes, no, there's leaders? there's no virus in Cornwall. No, right. No. So they can hold hands, clap, yeah. hug. Yeah. And what was all that theatre about standing apart? But what was that about? Did, I'm sorry, that was a big two fingers up to me. Mm. That was, was what got me annoyed in public. the first place. That yeah. was what got me annoyed in the first place. Because my thing about that is not only are they being two-faced about what they're telling us to do, but I figured, I, I just, it suddenly dawned on me that these people all work for us. You know, from Macron to Ursula von der Leyen to Joe Biden um, to Boris Johnson to every single person that was there, they're all on the public payroll. We're paying for all of it. You know, I'm sure they had a lovely night at the Eden Project. I'm sure the barbecue was fantastic. I'm sure the turbot was cooked to within an inch of its life. Nothing worse, by the way, than going to something that big and eating the food. Yeah, and you'll true. know That's as true. a professional. But, you know... Um, we've just been taken for a very long ride but and at the end of it we're being told sit down and shut up thanks the, for the money but what's dangerous about this Mike and from, from what I gather is that the laws that they keep putting in emergency changes and emergency laws mm. are, are going to take it away from them working for us we're coming more and more like a dictatorship state mm. because of these emergency laws and Lord Supton has, is warning us about this constantly yeah. and he's a great honourable decent man and you can tell sometimes when he's in interviews that he just doesn't want to be there yeah. but because he's such a good man he's having to come up and stand up mm. for the British public yeah. and he himself says you know he would never advocate breaking the law but there is something about morality here and once these laws become immoral and yeah. I believe they are immoral laws mm. because they are harming people it's not just business and it's not just because i want to go to the pub it's it's harming me so i told you last time mm. um my my mother's um 
she's got dementia and it's 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 rapidly increasing. My dad fell down the other day. Now, any other time, I would be on a plane to Cyprus, yeah. checking them out. Me or my brothers, one of us would have gone out there. Yeah. Now we can't we can't do that now, and there is no good reason for that. Mm. So it's not just oh look at her, she wants to go on holiday. Have they done away with this business where you're supposed to have been able to go to an airport though and say look I have a valid reason for travelling. And, and that, I think, is one. If your parent is... Yeah, is, you but know, then I'd have to come back and do this rubbish quarantining mm, thing. And mm. again, so I'm supposed to have a delivery the other day, Mike, mm. and uh, it's been cancelled. It was initially in March, yeah. and it keeps getting shunted and shunted and shunted. And the, they called us today saying that's going to be July. And the reason is the two of the delivery drivers, the guys that are going to bring it and assemble this thing, right. um, have been in the vicinity of someone who has had COVID. They have both been double jabbed, and the, yet they still have to isolate. I mean, I don't understand what's going on. We are being played a complete as complete idiots. Mm. Something's got to break here. Yeah. You know, the majority of us have, have been vaccinated, or you've got herd immunity because was it eighty five percent of British people have antibodies? Yeah. So what is going on, and why are we not? I don't understand Money, why exactly. we're not rioting. I mean, New York I don't City, get it. New York um, uh, Governor Cuomo came out yesterday and said seventy percent of adults are now been vaccinated, so everything's opening, right? We've well, got that. Uh, certainly as one vaccination, we've got a slightly yeah. lesser number second vaccination. We're about 60%, so we're not far away. And the will have been done, Mike. The, yeah. the main thing is, is let's said. not forget that the average age, and I say this every time, the average age of death of COVID is 82 mm. years old. Yeah. The average age of death in Britain, of any cause, is just under 82 yeah. years old. So all those that need the vaccine have got the vaccine we were protecting the vulnerable there are some people who have comorbidities or an immune suppression system they will be shielding mm. whatever they won't be just shielding from no, covid they'll be shielding from all these mm. things our children need to be allowed out they need to go and remember what life is like and we we as the british public have to stand up for ourselves now mm. i think the first thing we need to do is just take off the mask yeah i think in a in an just breathe again. That's mm. how I feel. You know, so you know when you take your mask off and you go. Well, there's a piece of video <sighs> that I saw again. yesterday. I want to talk to you about it in a second, but we're just going to stop for a moment. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Tonya Buxton is here. We were just talking, Tonya, about um, about the kids and the masks and the classrooms and all of that. There's an amazing piece of video which I saw yesterday mm -hmm. from a school in Israel where the kids are told to take off their masks and they don't need to wear them anymore. And it's brilliant. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's You see the pure joy yeah. on their face. It's unbelievable. Jumping but up and down. Jumping up and down, tearing up the masks. And you think, well, gosh, can you imagine if that's their reaction, how they've been feeling, suffocating yeah. through these masks? But we've been told by the sort of uh, do-gooders that, you know, well, the kids don't mind wearing masks. They do, masks. they do mind. They really they do. do mind. Of course they do. We but had a guy on yesterday um, whose son has been pinged at school because somebody tested positive. He's been sent home. He's supposed to do his exams this week, right? And so he's distraught. He's 13. Um, his brother is 15. He's self-isolating in the house. The brother is able to go and backwards and forwards to school. And you're kind of going, stop where's testing. the sense? Stop the test. The tests don't work. We know mm. that. The, the, the test, we must stop testing. So every time there's a rise in cases, if you check the data, you'll see that there's a rise yeah. in testing. I mean, test people who have got symptoms. I don't mind that. Ex oh, absolutely. If you're ill, go get tested. Like yeah. we always did. If you're, if you're sick or you've got flu or something's going on during the period of swine flu that time, I remember because my son had swine flu, I was really frightened. People got very ill. We had to Ill. go round the back of the doctor's surgery and they tested it, they swabbed mm. him and, and, and then we knew that he had a swine flu. But yeah. why are you testing? And we know that asymptomatic transmission yeah. is a... It, in, in, it's 
becoming more and more clear that it's just complete rubbish yeah. and it's all part of the fear-mongering campaign. Yeah, so yeah that's it really just is. Rubbish. Yeah. Now, let's talk about fear-mongering campaigns. Let's talk about the Freedom Day march because there was sort of um, impromptu. I didn't know it was, maybe people did, but it was sort of an impromptu march, it seemed yeah. to me, on Monday outside of Downing Street. It you was less there. of a march. It was more of a protest outside Downing Street. Mm. And I went there and um, because... I'm just, I don't understand what's going on. And I just wanted to be heard. And I really enjoy going to these places because I end up speaking to people and hearing their stories. Yeah. And there's nothing like hearing someone's personal story mm. about what's happened to them in their life, their businesses, their family, their children. And so I really like going there. And it was it was pretty peaceful. I mean, there was a bit of, you know, freedom, freedom, on yeah. get Boris out and all of that stuff going on outside Downing Street. But there's bit nothing going on. A bit of chanting, and that's fine. And I... And I, Still allowed uh, yeah. in a democracy, as far as I'm uh, aware. Exactly. And and what was really nice is that I kind of got off the train to get there, with these. Then these two guys were walking next to me, and then I got on the train to leave, and these two same two guys were oh, right. next to me. And I said, to him, "Oh, so we we must have been to the same place." I said, "Yeah, we've come in our lunch hour. We felt that so they've given up their lunch hour to go there and mm. just just stand and be counted mm. in in a in a nice way." But then the footage came out yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, and I'm really saddened by that. Yeah. Firstly, I've got to say. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but you can clearly see that the people haranguing him are... They don't look like good people no, to me. No, this is a BBC Newsnight guy. This is a BBC yeah. Newsnight guy. And they, he was really harassed. And he was frightened. Yeah. And I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like feeling frightened. I don't think anyone should make someone no. feel frightened. I think that was really... It doesn't reflect well and it doesn't actually truly show what was going on mm. no, none of the other protests where we had nearly a million people have been shown on television yeah. they only show the one where there's a few wrong and yeah. ev on every protest you go on there's a few wrong there are because there agitators. are professional agitators yeah. i mean it's been happening ever since we used to get those you know anti-globalist marches you know and you get all the guys that would turn up in anarchy uh, sort of black outfits yeah. with their faces covered balaclavas There's, these are the guys that you know are professional agitators yeah. and that happens everywhere and that's I think what these guys were and, and so it just ruined something people wanted to just stand up and make a statement about how wrong it is to extend um, Freedom Day mm. by another month I mean do you think that in all this that we're doing coming and talking to you and all these people that are talking we can make a difference because I'm, start so. I'm starting to lose hope, Mark, no. and that's the worst thing Don't for me. Don't lose hope, you must I'm starting to feel like our government and the people that run this country have no sense of how the people feel. Mm. They do these strange polls that... I don't know anyone who don't agrees with these, them. but I don't no. recognise them. None of the people I speak to feel that way. Yeah. And also, stop fear-mongering. Stop the fear-mongering. Yeah. Stop the... the, the and I've, I said it last time. I do feel that in years to come, if we get through this and we're not in some kind of stasi communist state or China-like living, yeah. there will be a lot of people that will be will be held accountable. Mm. We will have to have trials For sure. on what was done to the British Well, I see public. you've got a copy of Claire Fox's report there. I do. I, I got this, and I just want to say anybody can get hold of it um, at thepeopleslockdowninquiry.co.uk. Yeah. And what I love about this is in here is people's stories. So you've got the stories from people in neighbourhoods. You've got doctors. You've got travel agents. You've got religious people talking, mm. sports people talking, um, business people talking, and, and, and the quotes and what happened to them. And... and one of these quotes here from this lady called uh, Kate Meacock, which really kind of resonates with me, is you feel like you're grieving for someone who's still alive. And, yeah. this, and she worked in a, in a care home. Mm. And she was just saying that, you know, not being letting people see their family, the way things were run were so wrong. Yeah. They were so wrong. And I know for myself, because my mother-in-law, as you know, um, got diagnosed yeah. with stage four cancer. She's 
doing really, really well. She's going to be fine. She's had her operation. Everything's yeah. fantastic. But I had to go and stand at that hospital and demand to go yeah. in. I mean, I thought I was going to get arrested at one stage right. because I wasn't having it. I want to see her. Right. I just don't. I don't. I and just, you should keep that, though. Keep that thought right and keep that principle and that's how we will get through it and that's how we will get out of it and in the end we will also win yes uh, you know what standing shoulder to shoulder with you i think we might i think we will tony buxton this is of course talk radio great to see you again we'll see you soon the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio let's talk now though to robert clark research fellow at the henry jackson society robert very good morning to you Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Perfect timing, Robert. I mean, I don't know how you managed it, but uh, we're just watching, even as we speak, uh, Putin's plane. Uh, he's about to come walking down the uh, the gangway and uh, he's arrived in Geneva. Um, what's it all about? Uh, so, yeah, Putin's arrived there just now and the, the summit or well, the meeting between uh, himself and President Biden will kick off uh, all afternoon. Um, this is on the back of uh, President Biden's uh, whistle-stop tour of Europe. Obviously, we had the G7 meeting in Cornwall this weekend and then the NATO summit in Brussels um, Monday as well. So it comes on the back of that, and it's important to uh, really note that he's got the support of uh, the G7 uh, and NATO um, members and heads of state going into this meeting with uh, President, ba uh, President Putin. It's not so much um, uh, America and, and Russia, it's more uh, you know, uh, Europe, uh, NATO, uh, the G7, uh, and their uh, their issues and contentions with recent Russian uh, aggression. Yeah, I was listening to a former Kremlin advisor talking this morning about how um, it was interesting to see how the relationship between Donald Trump and, and Vladimir Putin sort of changed over time, because there are some, uh, particularly those on the left who hate Donald Trump, who think that he was very cosy with, uh, with, uh, with Putin. But it turns out he wasn't really, because what he did was he did put in a lot of sanctions. He pulled out of all sorts of treaties. You know, he made America much more of a, an adversary, if you like, to Russia than Barack Obama had. No, absolutely. Um, the slightly troubling issue with uh, with President Biden is the continuity that we'll see under his presidency is uh, with the, the the negative connotations, for example, with President Obama's uh, policies. And that's what Trump, um, you know, uh, booked the trend with and actually, uh, you know, put uh, put American uh, and NATO uh, uh, issues first. Like you say, pulled out of several nuclear treaties, mm. the New START Treaty and the Open Skies Treaty when uh, Russia were found to be violating it. Um, and, uh, and this is this is a case that we can see still with the um, you know the the uh, Biden's uh, administration's position even with Iran as well mm. completely um, just a continuation of uh, failed uh, Obama policies which uh, which will ultimately um, be. Uh, uh, undermine British uh, interests. Well, this is the problem. I mean, I'm not sure entirely what Rob, uh, uh, Joe Biden's foreign policy in the round actually is. You know, he doesn't seem to want to be too hard on China. Um, I'm not sure uh, what he wants to do with the European Union. Um, the relationship he has with Boris Johnson seems to be, I would say, fair to middling. Um, he didn't do all of the things that, that, that uh, some said he was going to do at the G7. He was pretty friendly. You know, he doesn't appear to be a man of any great kind of um, principle if you like, which comes as no great surprise to me, given that he's been in Washington for, you know, whatever it is, nearly 50 years um, and, and really hasn't done very much. Yeah, I mean, President Biden is an absolute career diplomat, career politician. Um, in terms of his, um, you know, his, his principles and, and sort of his, his approach, it's very much uh, communication um, and uh, trying to uh, tr trying to talk things through. And this, this is evidenced in the fact that he, it was he who requested this meeting with President Putin only a few months into his presidency. Um, this was seen as, uh, you know, almost as, uh, you know, again, giving Putin the control, 
um, him coming to Putin, him coming to Russia, rather than the other way around, which is what it should have been. Mm. Um, interestingly, um, I don't think there will be much uh, actual way in terms of diplomatic breakthrough between himself and Putin today. Um, I don't think many people expect it. Again, it's just it's more about re-establishing that communication level. Um, there can be positive things, though, that come out from this meeting with Putin today. I think, first of all, the, uh, the re-establishment of uh, diplomatic relations, both with Moscow and Washington, uh, both record their ambassadors uh, back in uh, back in April. Um, so if uh, if they can re-establish that communication, but again, that feeds into uh, Biden's you know overall priorities, his, his strategic vision in that sense is one of communication, uh, not confrontation. Yeah. Um, Although he did call Putin a killer, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, you he know, did. which I mean, if can you imagine if Donald Trump had said something like that, people would have gone, he's so unstatesmanlike. You know, imagine being yeah. president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, and making a pointless kind of you know personal jibe like that. And you never have heard the end of it. But nobody's suggesting that Joe Biden uh, was wrong to have done that or that was misguided or was perhaps unwise, you know? No, it was, it was very hypocritical. And like you say, if, uh, if Trump had said something like that, you know, the media sensationalism around it would have been quite, quite extraordinary. Yeah, exactly right. And so in far, as far as sort of Putin is concerned, I mean, obviously it suits his purpose domestically to not be particularly friendly with the Americans, doesn't it? No, absolutely. Um Russia have just recently listed as well uh, the US as, a, as, as an officially officially an unfriendly nation. Um, what uh, regarding the domestic situation in Russia as well, um, Putin will absolutely um, not talk or not even consider um, any kind of negotiation on what he sees as um, domestic uh, issues for Russia. So crucially, that, that actually involves a lot of European and British security. So Belarus, the situation in Belarus, the support for Lukashenko, uh, the human rights situation there, Ukraine as well. Mm. Um, you know, these are issues that uh, impact British and European security. But to, to Russia and to Putin especially, they see that as, um, you know, absolute lines for no negotiation. They see within Russia's sphere of influence in Europe. Yeah. So um, whilst the domestic situation will be driving Putin's agenda, unfortunately, the domestic situation in Russia actually impacts British security uh, wider than that. Right. And what about the Middle East? What will be said at this meeting between these two guys about, say, Israel and its possible new uh, government, new prime minister, Netanyahu, no longer in charge, and also Syria, which is still a sort of a massive uh, problem for the entire region. No, absolutely. Uh, this is one area that, that uh, people think there'll be quite a lot of um, uh, potential uh, for further talks down the line, particularly with the respective uh, secretaries of state and foreign secretaries. So, for example, uh, in the Middle East, um, with, uh, with Syria and also Libya, um, there's obviously a lot of contention between the Russian uh, perspective and, and the American perspective or the Western uh, European approach. Um, so there's uh, quite hopeful, um, quite a hopeful uh, air um, that uh, that there will be some uh, some some decent uh, uh, talks and discussions regarding the Middle East. Um, so, yeah, that, that's quite hopeful. And everybody's favourite bit of these things is the kind of the, the two men sitting in the chairs and the uh, the sort of the smiling Putin and the and the sort of chuckling Biden and the, you know the optics are often uh, what we take away as as the main take from it. What's that going to look like? Do you think? So I think they're going to keep that quite reserved and quite uh, quite limited to be to be to be honest. Mm. For example, there's going to be no um, joint uh, communique after. There'll be no no statement of intent, no no memorandum of understanding. Uh, there'll be no press opportunity either. No no um, no 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 press conference. Uh, it's obviously to save any sort of embarrassment or, or awkwardness regarding conflicting views and opinions. Um, I think this will be uh, very uh, heavily guarded and uh, you know quite secretive in that sense. Mm. Uh, and like I say, the, the, the real emphasis is just to try and re-establish that line of communication between the, the two countries. And in, in all honesty, despite 
Biden um, potentially appearing quite weak, making the first move. It is actually necessary, the mm. re-establishment of this communication. Right. Uh, and then from there, hopefully more proactive uh, steps can be uh, can be taken. And will there be any conversations, do you think, Robert, about the kind of, um, shall we say, the, in, the, the the creeping kind of insurrection which is organised by the Russians, the cyber attacks, you know, the uh, the things like the, the, the Novichok in the Salisbury episode, those kinds of activities which we know uh, Russia are behind, but which nobody's really called them out on in a massive way, since Theresa May did, really. Yeah, uh, and actually that's something that Theresa May did really well, uh, was calling out uh, regarding Salisbury. Uh, in terms of the cyber security threat, I know Boris Johnson um, mentioned it at the uh, both the G7 and the NATO summit regarding uh, Russian influence there. And I've, uh, I've heard President Biden is going to be uh, discussing this with Putin today. Um, I know one of the lines that uh, President Biden has taken is if uh, if Russia are found to be uh, interfering, particularly um, within cyber security, then uh, America will uh, respond in kind. And I think that's quite an important statement uh, to be made, to be honest. Mm. Interesting stuff. Well, we shall be looking at it with some interest and we'll talk to you sooner about it. Again, Robert, thank you very much indeed. Robert Clark, Research Fellow at the Henry Jackson Society on the news that Putin, Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden are meeting today uh, with a joint summit. Uh, we'll see what comes out of it. No a joint declaration planned. Um, but for those people who are saying, oh, Joe Biden is going to be getting relations back to normal with Russia. Well, that's not quite what's going on here, uh, because actually Donald Trump kept Russia in a pretty good space since he left. They have not been, interestingly enough, and neither has the rest of the world. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, let's talk to Joe Casper, who is, of course, uh, from the Sun newspaper. Joe, welcome to the Independent Republic. Thank you for coming in to see us. Thank you for having me. You are a bizarre reporter, it says here, but he's on the front page this morning. He writes, TV legends woke up call because Ab Fab, uh, the star of Ab Fab, Jennifer Saunders, uh, has basically said that the small-minded brigade, and that would be the wokest that we talk about all the time, uh, would never allow a comedy like Ab Fab to be made. And for those of you who are old enough to remember it, um, and Joe's not one of those, funnily enough, um, <laughs> it was a tremendously amusing... I mean, my favourite episode, and I'm not just going to say this, Joe, I mean, great story to get, right? But one of my favourite episodes is when they're drunk driving around in France um, and they get into the car and um, one of them sits down in where they think the driving seat should be and of course it's the steering wheel's on the other side and they go, somebody's taking the steering wheel! You know, and they're drinking champagne and they're making jokes about drugs and men and sex. It's just hilarious. And so she's absolutely right, isn't she, to say that you'd never get a comedy like that made now. Well, the, the irony of all of this is, is that she's a true feminist a true martyr yeah. i mean you've got to think about the time it was sort of the early 90s yeah. it's a really male dominated industry comedy mm. isn't it i mean yeah. you just have to look at the stand-up the stand-up yeah the really rich around. guys like jimmy carr and people like that who yeah are, who, you know who've been doing it on the circuit for years i mean sitcoms as well i mean mm. we were just talking about sort of the sitcoms that around that time 40 towers mm. black hadder i mean you go back even further dad's army all male dominated yeah. and now you've got and you've got here a female-dominated comedy, yeah. and now people are saying that it's not—it's that's not good enough. Well, yeah, exactly right. But that's the trouble, you know, because the wokest will always sort of eat each other. Because one of the great things about how clever this was was that Safi was the daughter, was Jennifer Saunders' daughter, right? And so Jennifer Saunders and, and, and Joanna Lumley would go out all hours drinking, taking drugs, you know, they'd stagger back to the house and Safi would walk into the kitchen and go, would you lot go to sleep? I'm trying to get, you know, would you lot go to bed? I'm trying to get to sleep. I've got exams in the morning. So the daughter was kind of the sensible one and the parents were idiots. And that was what was funny. Mm. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's classic sort of sitcom formula, isn't it? 
And, you know, some of the jokes that they said were were brilliant at the time, well received at the time. No one, no one batted an eye. No. But now you've got people looking back at it and saying you can't call someone fat. Right. Uh, there's there's uh, jokes about diet pills. There's um, potentially homo or what what woke lot would call homophobic yeah. remarks, that sort of thing. And 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 again, it we're just looking at this comedy at the time thinking this is a breath of fresh mm. air this yeah. is brilliant well it must be interesting for you because i mean you've been brought up presumably on the slightly more kind of careful you know let's not offend anybody style comedy but it's not very funny you know because no. comedy should be quite offensive in a way and i'm not saying that you should be bullying people or that you should be in some way hectoring people or making people feel like they're not um you know worthy or anything like that but comedy is about making fun of people surely well we were saying saying this off air mm. um you know the these the two characters um Joanna Lumley and uh Jennifer Saunders yeah. characters they're the idiots yeah. in this they're the one that, that they're making all these outrageous comments right. and and they're the idiots and now if if these woke types actually watched it they mm. they'd realize that i think what they do is they take sound bites out yeah. of out of the sitcom and then choose to be mm. offended by it yes. by it well they're looking for offense aren't they mm. all the time i mean we saw that for example some of the stuff on have i got news for you used to be a lot funnier than it is now because now they've got this kind of bbc committee making sure they don't offend anyone but the bit i don't get is that they then broadcast once a week an episode of 40 towers which is riddled with all yep. manner of things which they would not allow anyone to say now and dad's army mm. as well which is one of the most popular shows on bbc2 yeah brilliant ratings and the thing is is that, that these shows these repeats of 40 towers and dad's army they're getting better ratings mm. than the new sitcoms really? that are being made yeah and and this is what jennifer saunders is saying yeah is that people are now so scared of offending yeah. that they're making these boring comedies with cans, laughter, right. that no one wants to watch. Well, they they want to watch the classics. I mean, you can't do comedy by committee, can you? But you can imagine if you were a comedian, you went into the BBC and you said, oh, I've got this funny uh, uh, set to put together for you. I make lots of jokes about Boris Johnson, make lots of jokes about the Tories, make loads of jokes about yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah, you're in, absolutely no problem at all. But if you said, I want to make fun of Black Lives Matter or I want to make fun of you know England taking the knee, they'd be going, oh, I don't know about that. Mm. It's, not so, it's not such a good idea. And I think if 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 there was a a sitcom or you know some sort of comedy show that did all of those things that mm. had a go at the left, had a go at the right, right, then I think the majority of the public would say you know fair enough. Yeah, because doing a there's bit probably people are fed up with all sides of it. You know, with everybody having to be careful what they say. You know, just say what you want. I mean, people seem to be confused about free speech, don't they? They think that free speech either means that you can say anything you want or uh, that you can't say anything you want, mm. when in fact the, the answer is somewhere in the middle. You know, if you want to say something and it's offensive, you might have to take the consequences of that. And I just think comedy, especially sort of stand-up, mm. I think that's where you have this sort of parliamentary privilege, yeah. as they have, you know, the MPs have, to sort of try out and say the worst things possible mm. and to make people laugh. And I think... Com comedians should be given that right yeah oh i think they should and and it's a terrible tragedy for british television really that jennifer saunders yeah. feels like you know you're not allowed i mean one of your quotes in here that you've got is it's not a crime to have an opinion the trouble is so many people now want to make it a crime yeah. i mean up in scotland they've got a hate crime law that says if you say something at your own dinner table to your own children you might get arrested absolutely you know and, and, and i and i just think that when was the last time we had a iconic cult classic comedy mm. I'm, I'm i'm thinking probably the in-betweeners 
Probably. And what's that? That's a good 10 years ago. Is it wasn't really? It? Yeah. Because my kids watched that, right? And I saw it. I, I didn't really watch it when it came out, but my kids now watch it. It's hilarious. But it's even, really funny. It, even that wouldn't be made, no. made now. No. Because you've got loads of homophobic. Well, look what happened to Little Britain. I mean, Little Britain yeah. was literally uh, sort of made into a thought crime because of some of the stuff that they did. And even the guys in Little Britain started apologising for it. You're mm. going, what are you doing? Mm. It's funny. I can remember those. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Finally, we found some common area. Excellent plan. Well, listen, Joe, great to see you. Fantastic story on the front page Thank of you. the Sun today. Go and buy it. Uh, it is, of course, uh, the greatest paper in the world, uh, if you work in this building. Joe Casper, bizarre <laughs> reporter at the Sun. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.